people make assumptions all the time. I mean, early on in my profession, I, you know, was called a pothead and a drug dealer and a quack. And, you know, you, you're coming into a profession that really hasn't, a specialty that hasn't been, you know, established and doesn't really have any sort of, you know, training protocol or program for people to go through. Right. So as a pioneer, um, in the industry and building all of that, you know, now I've seen sort of this shift where, you know, people have appreciation of my knowledge and expertise and they're glad that I'm there, that I can offer them this. That was Eloise Thiessen, a nurse practitioner specializing in medicinal cannabis and president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association, explaining the shift in attitudes over the years towards her work in treating patients with cannabis. Eloise is a true pioneer in the medicinal cannabis field. She's a prolific cannabis educator through her company Radical Health of both patients and clinicians and a staunch advocate of the vital role of nurses in the cannabis space. You're listening to Cannabis Voices, people's stories in their own words about the healing power of the cannabis plant. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, Mary. Thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm staring out at European darkness, whereas you are looking out to the light, I think. Yeah. <laughs> a beautiful 70 degrees today, yes. Um, so I'm really, really pleased to speak to you today. Um, I think you're one of the, the voices that, that sort of is heard, obviously, in, in the United States, but also I know you've been doing some great work sharing your knowledge here in the UK. Um, we've got a few nurses who... Um, have come into the industry and uh, so I know we kind of really appreciate your sh- you sharing your knowledge so um, but I'm intrigued to know uh, really about your nursing background prior to specializing in medicinal cannabis. Yeah great thank you. Um, I've been in nursing now for 21 years and I started out in oncology so the majority of my work has been working with those who have you know often terminal diagnoses And um, a lot of times in oncology, we also take on a lot of different um, types of conditions or symptom management. So I've had a lot of experience with pain, anxiety, sleep issues um, over the years, which I think really helped prepare me well for, you know, transitioning into the cannabis space. Um, I also did a lot of work with um, management of nurses and policies and procedures um, managing um, several units on a hospital, and then went back to school in 2013 to become a nurse practitioner. And that has been the majority of my nurse practitioner career has been in medical cannabis. What is the difference between an, um, a nurse and a nurse practitioner? In the United States, nurse practitioners have higher levels of education, which allows them to have more autonomy and different skill sets. So nurses scope of practice, they can assess a patient, um, provide education, nurse practitioners can actually diagnose, interpret um, labs and, uh, you know, x-rays, for example, diagnostic studies, Mm -hmm. and we can also prescribe medications. So it's quite a significant difference, really. I guess it's that kind of midway point between between being a, a nurse and a doctor, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some uh, some people refer to us as mid-level providers or advanced practice providers. Mm-hmm. 
And when you, well, before you entered in, um, into the whole world of, of cannabis, did you see any limitations um, in allopathic medicine that, that you felt frustrated by? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, um, working in oncology, I think one thing we did really well was um, manage people's symptoms. You know, we were usually very proactive about, you know, making sure that they weren't suffering. Um, but even then, the things that we offered were often, you know, could be very limiting, especially in our younger population who may not respond to the traditional treatments. And of course, in a hospital setting, there there's not an opportunity to incorporate more of a holistic wellness approach as well. And I guess for chronic um, conditions, um, conventional medicine is not always that successful. And you end up, you know, the kind of, I know in the past we've spoken about the whole issue of polypharmacy. Was that something that, that you saw yeah, absolutely. I mean, polypharmacy, I saw then, I continue to see now. I, as a nurse practitioner, I have the um, autonomy to describe some of these medications for my patients, which has been often patient-led. You know, they're they're coming to me because they don't want to continue to take this plethora of medication, or they're feeling like it's not working, or maybe some of the side effects are outweighing the benefits. And I think sometimes the complexity of chronic illness is that you have so many providers managing the care that there's not always a captain of the ship to look over the medications and say, you know, you're late stage dementia. Why are you still on this medication to try to improve your memory? Um, or, you know, you're, you're, di you're dying of you have a terminal cancer illness. Why are we still concerned about your cholesterol? You know, things like that, mm -hmm. where we're not having those conversations as much as I, I wish we would. And how did cannabis come onto your radar? It was from a personal experience where I had uh, experienced polypharmacy after an injury and was looking for alternatives. You know, I kept um, it, it just kept to seem, it, it just appeared to me that the solution was to just add on more medications. And I just became tired of that. I was young, I was in my thirties. Um, and so, you know, I think like most people who come to cannabis, I had a friend who had had success with it, who encouraged me to consider it. And it took me a while to get over the stigma um, myself. And, but once I did, I, you know, of course, look at me now, I, you know, I didn't look back. <laughs> I became quite um, evangelistic, so to speak, you know, I think as many people do. And um, and then when I was doing my nurse practitioner hours, um, I was back in the oncology setting and patients were asking me about it every day, unprovoked. You know, they were doing their own research and had their own curiosity. And so I really did see this need for patients to have a medical professional guide them through the process because cannabis can offer a lot in terms of harm reduction but not if you don't know how to use it. Sometimes it can actually you know, cause some, I don't want to say harm, but people can use it inappropriately mm. and you know, have an adverse experience. So medical professionals really can help provide patients, I think, with that education that they need to use it safely and effectively. Um, which year was that? That I started? Yeah. Yeah, 2014. So I imagine back then um, there wasn't that much training around. How did you kind of educate yourself? Um, I mean, dosing is a is a tricky issue anyway. But how did you how did you get the knowledge? 
Um, a lot of self-study and working with patients, collecting real-world evidence. So, you know, looking, I mean, there's there's definitely good animal data out there, um, particularly looking at different cannabinoids and conditions, and then trying to take some of that and apply it to patients and you know, start collecting that data around, you know, best practices to see, you know, which cannabinoids were most helpful for which conditions and which dose seemed to be most effective and you know obviously everybody's different and being able to personalize and individualize it really is one of the wonderful things about cannabis so it's tried tried and error essentially yeah i like to call it exploration you know because i don't know that we make a lot of errors you know there's just something about you know there's sort of a negative i think connotation with the term error Mm. um i mean some you know sometimes we we don't get it right or you know, the dose is too much or not enough, but we get to kind of explore that together and patients are being educated so that they can make informed choices. And has your approach to cannabis changed over the years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In so many ways, you know, it's really evolved. Um, You know, I think early on, you know, you sort of find a cannabinoid that you really like and you'll kind of find yourself gravitating towards it and then you'll learn uh, new cannabinoids come out and that might change how you approach a specific condition new routes are developed i mean here in california i'm fortunate to have access to suppositories and transdermal patches and you know many unique types of products um you know and how i approach patients too in terms of you know what, uh, where my education is directed, you know, initially I would start out by telling everybody about the endocannabinoid system. Now I don't really think they're necessarily looking for that education. They're, they're just looking for someone to come in and say, here's what you need. Um, here's how much you should take. Here's what to expect with your treatment. Um, and really, <clears throat> you know, kind of streamlining that experience for them as well. That's really interesting. Cause I think sometimes, I mean, it's certainly when I first came into this industry and my mind was blown away by the endocannabinoid system and and felt like I had to tell everybody about it. But actually, if you just want to not be in pain or be less anxious, you're probably not that fussed about it, you know. Perhaps further down the line when you've got it, where it kind of, you know, perhaps there's a curiosity. Um, But I I think that's an interesting insight, actually, of yours to, okay, kind of cut to the chase, really, not complicate things too much yeah and i work with older adults who are kind of used to being told what to do right they Mm. go in they see their clinician who says okay you have high cholesterol take this pill um so there hasn't been this model where they're educated about their health or responsibilities of how to improve their health Mm. and you know you can kind of start you know infusing that in when you're you're working with cannabis but i just started to see their eyes gloss over when i talk about the ecs I mean, is it something, you know, when you're seeing patients that you're aware of what their endo, I mean, obviously you wouldn't be able to measure the endocannabinoid tone or say for sure, you know, what sort of state it's in, but you sort of, do you have the endocannabinoid system in mind when, when you are treating patients? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I do a very thorough health history with my patients. So, you know, if you look at the theory of clinical endocannabinoid deficiency that, you know, Dr. Rutho um, writes a lot about, mm. it's a, it's a, at this point, it's a diagnosis of exclusion criteria. So you try to rule everything out. And there are certain clinical things that I can, 
um, piece out of the health history to say, okay, you have a strong family history of migraines and irritable bowel disease, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, you're not exercising, you know, you've had a traumatic event, you know, there are things that you can really look at to say, no other diagnosis has made sense for you. Perhaps you are suffering from clinical endocannabinoid deficiency mm-hmm. and then, you know, formulating that treatment. So it's not just cannabinoids, but also upregulating the mm-hmm. endocannabinoid system. And in, in that sort of um, profile of patients, do you find that um, protocol of cannabinoids plus, you know, the fatty acids in their diet or, or I don't know, what a green veg, whatever it is, a little bit of exercise, do you, do you find that then has a, a beneficial effect on them? Absolutely. Diet and exercise seem to be very very important when you're coming, you know, especially in my very chronic ill patients, Mm -hmm. um, trying to get that, you know, meditation is also extremely helpful and beneficial, but it's really about, you know, identifying which one to start with and kind of easing them into some of those upregulating, um, endocannabinoid activities. Um, are there any particular striking success stories with patients that you'd, you'd like to share? Anyone that springs to mind? Yeah, I mean, lately my passion has been dementia patients um, and looking at using cannabinoids to help with some of their neuropsychiatric symptoms. So as their disease progresses, we can often see things like agitation, anxiety, um, aggression, and the, there are no FDA-approved medications to treat these symptoms. So often we're using a lot of off-label medications that can come with what, antipsychotics. They come with black box warnings. So there's sometimes a higher risk of death um, in that population. So side effects are often very distressing for the patient and the family. And there's been, um, there was a little bit of research, I believe, that came out of Israel looking at synthetic um, cannabinoids, uh, particularly dronabinol, to help manage these symptoms. And so in California, being able to use uh, adult use and medical cannabis, um, I've just seen tremendous turnaround in some of these patients where they're behaving, you know, they're happy. they're laughing. Um, one guy, I remember one, the wife was so distraught over how her husband, you know, the, the disease of Alzheimer's and dementia is so, um, hard on family members, right? They lose their loved one. And I remember, uh, we decided to do a little bit of THC for her husband and I called her to say, how's it going? And she said, he's making jokes again. Is that okay? (laughs) And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, it's like it's his old self again. You know, she was almost mm-hmm. like she was a little stunned at how, you know, she had gotten a little bit of her husband back. Mm-hmm. And um, so it can be really gratifying to see their quality of life improve in those last couple of months. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because we're talking about animal studies uh, and it is only at the animal study level. But, you know, one part of the research into neurodegenerative diseases is not just the symptom management using cannabinoids but actually potentially slowing down the progression of the of the disease which obviously that hasn't translated to humans yet but you know the 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 sort of the properties of cannabinoids in terms of them being the antioxidants um anti-inflammatory there's one other thing i can't remember that that uh, is a reason why um, neuroprotection exactly 
Um, and it's sort of, sort of the, the kind of the three perfect contributing factors that if they if they did work could you know on paper <laughs> slow down progression but it would be amazing if if you know which which i imagine would then be starting treatment a lot earlier um, and i know that's another challenge with with dementia and alzheimer's is actually once a patient is manifesting symptoms actually you know it's been present for quite a long time Prior to that, I mean, when would you, with the experience that you've seen with your patients with dementia and Alzheimer's, when would you sort of think that it would be a good time to start with with cannabinoid therapy as early as possible? I think with any diagnosis is when we should start considering, you know, palliative approaches, right? So in, in palliative care, it's really our role is to manage symptoms and improve quality of life. We're not withdrawing treatment. We're still, you know, treating towards cure. And um, I think we can offer a lot of um, uh, hope and help with these patients. If we right at diagnosis, start having these conversations, whether it's cannabinoid therapy, whether it's lifestyle changes, you know, diet, exercise, um, all of that, you know, often we just kind of wait until people are in crisis. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes we can still offer some, you know, relief and improve their quality of life. But I would love to just see it be um, incorporated from the start. Are there any health conditions that you've noticed don't respond to cannabis? Yeah, there are some chronic pain. Um, sometimes stenosis doesn't always um respond to cannabis and and you know there are dementia patients that don't respond you know the question is is it genetics is it their metabolism Um, is it their intolerance of you know some people can't tolerate the cannabis dose no matter how low it is Um, there are um, situations that no matter how hard you try they don't respond and sometimes maybe it's because their dose isn't high enough and they can't afford the care they can't afford the cost because i don't think um people necessarily realize how much it costs patients when we have the situation in the uk where we have a national health service but right now in the three years since um legalization in three patients have received a prescription through our you know national health service and everyone else is being private but that's always the case right in in the u.s it's it's people are always self-funding their treatment yeah, they are. And, you know, um, one of the organizations I'm a part of, the nonprofit Leaf 411, you know, that's the trained registered, um, the cannabis trained registered nurses who, you know, really we started that organization to help tackle healthcare inequality in the cannabis space because there's so many people who are self exploring, self treating, um, who turn to the internet, you know, Dr. Google or their friends or family for advice. And really, um, I, I just feel like if, healthcare professionals were more accessible, that success rates would go up, we would decrease potential adverse effects, we could probably reduce some people's medications, like their opioids and other uh, pharmaceuticals. So, you know, having access, I think is really, really important, Mm -hmm. and affordable access. I mean, I guess that's the thing as well, in the states where, well, I guess in California, where you've got um, medical and recreational um, patients, I guess just go just go to the dispensary and cut out the middleman of the, the the health professional doing the recommendation, right? In many cases, so then there's nobody 
overlooking possible drug interactions, etc. There must be quite a, a worrying situation. Yeah, it can be. I mean, because I specialize in the older adult, you know, the not only is there the consideration of the the medication interactions, but also their metabolism slows down by like 30%. So, you know, dosing is, you know, it's not the same for you or me or the dispensary staff and the older adults. And, and I think there's a, a lack of education out there, um, you know. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I'd, I'd love to know more about, I know, um, in my family, my mother's side, just with opiates, we I, we don't metabolize them as we should and, and can't tolerate them. Um, so I think it's a uh, an area that, that, well, if you've got a one, one size fits all approach to healthcare, it's, you know, the people who metabolization of drugs is not really considered, I guess. Um, but it's it's interesting. It should be. I mean, we're starting to see some companies in cannabis start to offer DNA testing to That's look right, at yeah. metabolism and mm-hmm. um maybe, you know, increased risk of cannabis use disorder or psychosis or cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, You know, you can do some of that testing too for like antidepressants and antipsychotics. But like you said, it's, it's not, um, it's not common practice. You mentioned education before, and I know you're very involved in education. Um, Is it just of nurses or health professionals in general? Yeah, consumers as well, okay. you know, education across the continuum. In fact, I had someone approach me the other day about designing training for police officers, mm. um, particularly in the state of Mississippi. And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. We really do need to rethink how we are um, approaching those who may be using cannabis and you, educate them. You might be interested. Um, we have an initiative in the UK called CanCard, and it, it's really addressing the situation that we've got here where cannabis for medicinal use is legal, but most people can't afford to, to, to go that route, so they're still going to the illicit markets. And it's a kind of card that, if we're, basically, if they're stopped by the police, that, that indicates that they have a prescription. Well, actually, sorry, they, they have a condition that um, if they, you know, in a better situation financially, they, they would actually be able to get a, a prescription. So they're using it medicinally. But the founder, Carly Barton, has done a lot of training with, with police here in the UK. So um, whether that's helpful at all, I'll be, you know, happy, happy to put you in, in touch with Carly. She's done, doing some amazing, amazing work. Um, she's, at, you know, she's a patient herself. Um, but I'm just interested because there's a lot of talk and there's not enough education in, in this sector. What are the fundamental pillars of good cannabis education? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's, you know, uh, I think it's important that those who are creating the content are authorities in the space and actually working with patients. You know, you want to make sure that you have that balance of those who are, because again, we don't have these large clinical you know, double-blind placebo studies, we do need to rely on observational and real-world evidence right now. So those people that are, um, you know, doing that work, hands on, the, you know, boots on the ground. Um, and of course, you know, balancing out, I think it's really important too, there's some topics in this industry that are very divisive, right? Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, some people don't even think it exists. Cannabis use disorder, <laughs> people don't think it exists. Um, talking about risks in adolescence, you know, is it okay for these young adults to be consuming high D- THC? So having that balance of 
you know, risks and benefits of cannabinoid therapies for um, the consumer, I think is also really important because it's easy to cherry pick your research and have your narrative support that cannabis is, you know, a panacea. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, looking also at uh, the not just, I, I mean, it's so complex, right? We want to talk about the endocannabinoid system. We want to talk about the cannabinoids. We want to talk about specific conditions that it can work with. We need to talk about testing and how do you know your medication's safe? Um, we need to talk about routes of administration. We need to be talking about, um, you know, uh, myths and misconceptions out there. So it's it's a lot to take in. And I think that's partly why clinicians are a little bit paralyzed right now, because like, where do you even start? Um, but getting those fundamentals can really at least help you start giving your patients some information so that they're making better choices. I guess until there's a federal change, none of this is going to be part of the syllabus in, in medical school, right? It, it's, it's sort of, I know even the ECS is, is barely, barely addressed. It's there. Um, when I taught uh, locally here at Cal State East Bay in their nursing program, our textbook had three paragraphs on the ECS and cannabinoids. Um, and, you know, who's going to teach to that unless they know? I mean, my students were really lucky because they got a whole lecture on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we also use that to talk a lot about the stigma of what they see about how other providers treat those who may be consuming cannabis in the healthcare setting. So, you know, and we're seeing some schools like Pacific College is incorporating it into their nursing program. We're seeing, you know, Jefferson, um, Thomas Jefferson offering master's degrees, um, Pacific College offering master's degrees, University of Maryland. So. Mm -hmm. Is it part of their uh, foundational knowledge? Not necessarily, but but there are ways for people to get educated. Mm -hmm. What impact do you think um, the eventual rescheduling on cannabis, because it is coming, right? Um, what, what impact will it have in terms of patient access? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I could envision it, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of us when it comes, because mm. there will be growing pains, and there will be concessions. I mean, that's what we saw here in California was legalization, you know, we had to make some concessions in order to really get it passed. And we are experiencing those the pain of those concessions right now from the consumer standpoint. So, you know, I think we just need to be really need to make sure that healthcare professionals are getting a seat at the table as this legalization um, opportunity comes forward so that we can make sure that whatever gets passed doesn't forget about the patient mm. or that the cannabis consumer that's already happening i mean it's you know uh, so we're just going to have to continue to stay open and curious mm. and evolve i wonder because with regulation, obviously regulation is a good thing, um, but in a sort of semi-unregulated sector, there's more wiggle room to, you know, do the kind of exploration that you've been doing and, and getting data as you're going along, etc. Um, and I imagine I'm right in thinking in terms of getting, being able to, you know, get your cannabis card or get a recommendation from from a from a health professional. Um, it can be a first-line um, medication. So what I mean by that in the UK, in order to get a prescription, you have to have, 
I think, tried two or three other um, pharmaceutical options, let's say. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not the kind of the first treatment that you can try. And I, I wonder that that's quite restricting really on patients. Um, do you think that might be a, a sort of tact the, the, the federal government might take when they come up with their own system? Well, we already see it in in states where medical cannabis laws have been implemented, where really cannabis can um, be considered if they've tried, exhausted every other option, okay. right? So patients don't really have, I mean, now that adult use is passed here, they, they if they're educated, they can choose cannabis as a first line treatment for their chronic pain or anxiety. Um, so yeah, I mean, with regulations will come some of those barriers that we haven't really had to deal with, right? But we'll also get some protections around hopefully safe banking and maybe even insurance coverage and increased right. access for the healthcare consumer. So, you know, nothing's perfect. And um, we're such a self-regulated industry now that, that I think I have, you know, there's definitely concerns around that as mm. well. And where do you stand on the whole plant versus isolate debate? I, I favor the whole plant, but I don't exclude isolates because I've seen them work. Mm -hmm. um, but I will always start with a whole plant approach because I just think that the there's more evidence to support that. Okay. Yeah, I've seen, you know, like uh, I had one night, she's 96, and we did a, um, a full spectrum CBD for her pain. Um, and she had remarkable results. Well, she started to get impaired from that small amount of THC in her tincture that I had to switch her over to a broad spectrum and it didn't work. Mm. So, you know, we had to kind of try to find that balance for her where she wasn't getting an impairment from her full spectrum because it worked. So, right. Where do you stand then on the, the, the future? Well, it's kind of happening already. The pharma, pharmaceuticalization of, of cannabis. Yeah, that's another area where I'm not sure. I mean, we are already seeing it. And of course, pharmaceuticals offer some, um, you know, I don't want to say protections. What's the word I'm looking for? It offers some some assurance as a clinician, right? There's some standardization. There's some predictability. There's, yeah. uh, um, But I worry about, um, you know, patients have the, having the ability to grow their own and make their own and the individualization that... Um, we can offer them right now, you know, with that standardization also comes standardized protocols, mm -hmm. which is not a one size fits all. So yeah, it's definitely a mixed, mixed bag. I guess the, you know, I think obviously the pharmaceuticalization is coming, um, uh, but in, a di in an ideal world, the personalized approach um, can, can coexist with the other type of products, I hope. I mean, it's, um, you just don't know. You just don't know. It's all all up for grabs. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, you know, this we're doing this interview partly because I'm I'm writing this article um, for World Women's Day, International Women's Day, um, about health professionals in the cannabis sector. And and I mean, I, I'm wondering because again, the sort of I don't know the the, the assumptions that might be made about about. Um, about nurses because you know you were incredibly experienced and knowledgeable um, generally but you know in, in terms of your in terms of um, um, cannabis and uh, medicinal cannabis 
Do you think um, if you were, have you ever sort of had a situation when you're speaking to a doctor, male or otherwise, when perhaps they kind of um, make n- negative assumptions about your your knowledge or expertise or underestimate? You know, I don't know. I'm just imagining a scenario, but I don't know if it's a true one or not. <laughs> oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, um, I have people make assumptions all the time. I mean, early on in my profession, I you know, it was called a pothead and a drug dealer and a quack. And, you know, you, you're coming into a profession that really hasn't a specialty that hasn't been, you know, established and doesn't really have any sort of, you know, training protocol or program for people to go through. Right. So as a pioneer um, in the industry and building all of that, you know, now I've seen sort of this shift where, you know, people have appreciation of my knowledge and expertise, and they're glad that I'm there, that I can offer them this. Um, but I, you know, recently interviewed for a job, and the question at the very end was, um, you know, no judgment, and I see your background here in cannabis, and I just want to know if you come work with us, are you going to be able to uh, keep yourself from promoting marijuana use? Hmm. And I just thought, well, that is the strangest question I've ever like do you think I'm out here promoting it you know so um there is a lot of discomfort um and stigma still there that you know people don't often even know what to think of it the cannabis industry is is quite new it's developing um (laughs) more established for for longer in in California certainly than than here in the UK what role do you think women must play in this developing global cannabis industry? Yeah, I think we need to be really proactive and assertive of making sure that we have a seat at the table, especially as we see this health, you know, from from the healthcare perspective. I mean, nursing in general doesn't, um, you know, somebody told me early on, you know, nurses tend to be too nice, and they don't always have a seat at the table. And I think that that you know, I took that to heart to make sure that, you know, if there's something that I think needs to be different for my patients or the industry, then I want to make sure that I have a seat at the table. And that can get exhausting, right? Because then you end up on all these different mm. <laughs> boards, <laughs> advisory boards and stuff, trying to to get the message out there. But I think, you know, really making sure that we're educated um, so that we can help um, advocate for those consumers out there, there's, you know, my biggest concern is that healthcare inequality that's happening mm-hmm. in, in healthcare in general, but particularly in cannabis, and really wanting to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before we wind things up? No, thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. And, um, you know, I, I always get it. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about the role of nurses and advanced nurses and in cannabis so thank you thank you for listening to cannabis voices if you like this podcast please subscribe rate review and share with your family and friends